My name's Anna Cartwright. I'm a trainee clinical psychologist on my final six-month placement with Amplify Your People. Uh, and today we're doing a podcast to discuss what clinical psychologists do and what the role involves. Uh, so I'm joined by Dr. Lucy Oldfield and Dr. Stacey Hemmings, who are both clinical psychologists working at Amplify Your People. Um, and we're also joined by Stuart John Schwan, who's a forensic psychologist by background. <laughs> Lucy, I wonder if you could start us off. Um, from your experience, how would you describe what a clinical psychologist does? Uh, clinical psychologists um, have a really varied job um, in that they they can work in lots of different roles and I think across lots of different sectors. But I think for me, the principles are always the same. Um, we're really looking to understand um people people's relationships and emotions and behavior and how all of those things um, that make us human uh, how all of those things kind of impact on our lives and on our kind of wider well-being and our ability to live the kind of life that we want um, so very often my work involves speaking to people and um, understanding usually there's some form of distress of, of why people have kind of come to see me or talk to me um, so it's a case of understanding what the distress is about before we can think about potentially making any changes that the person might want to make or thinking about what that might look like. So as a psychologist uh, it sounds like you would often work with people who are experiencing some kind of distress and you'd often help them to understand um, kind of what that distress is about and then also help them think about whether th whether there's something that needs to change for them um, to help them live the life that they want to live. And as well as the one-to-one -one work that psychologists might do, um, what other kind of settings might a psychologist work in or what other groups of people might a psychologist work with? Clinical psychologists can also work with teams. They also work in very specialised settings, doing things like... Um, rehabilitation for people for example who've had head injuries or um, who live uh, with developmental conditions so things that things that are not going to change throughout the course of life but clinical psychologists can have a role in helping individuals and families and uh, employers and employees in adapting um, to uh, to adjust to different needs um, mm -hmm. And so you work right across the whole lifespan from from children right up to older adults. Um, so things like schools, uh, families, care homes, hospitals, outpatient clinics, as well as businesses, um, kind of the whole range of prisons also. Um, so, yeah, it's a very varied field. Mm. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, sounds like a really varied job. Um, Stacey. From your experience, do you agree with what Lucy said about what clinical psychologists do? Um, is there anything that you'd like to add? So it's thinking about my experience, I've traditionally worked in sort of addiction settings. Um, and I think all of what Lucy's, you know, talked about in regards to sort of assessment and treatment interventions, all those things absolutely apply. Um, but I think with working in addiction, certainly I've had to be more conscious of working with such levels of vulnerability. Uh, and when I talk about that, I'm talking about issues that are multiple and extremely complex. So things like, you know, absolute poverty, criminal justice implications, safeguarding, or, you know, trying to protect people, looking at risk and um, 
but also thinking and acknowledging and working very, very closely with, with core concepts of sort of stigma and, and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we think about addiction, if you even think about what that brings up in terms of who you would expect me as a clinical psychologist to be seeing and the types of conversations I'd be having, they are all of the sort of things I suppose you'd expect, trauma, uh, anxiety, depression, but it's all sort of in the context of absolutely tremendous amounts of stigma that comes both from sort of society and how it treats individuals, but also how the individuals see themselves. Mm. And when you're working in an addictions service, Stacey, what other professionals might you work with? So that's the thing as well, you know, working in addiction services, you've got to have sort of a multidisciplinary team. So there will be, because of what I've just said around, you know, the levels of difficulties that you're working with, Um, and the multiple areas that you need to consider. It isn't just a case of somebody coming in and talking about their anxiety. It might be that you need to have a psychiatrist with you to think about a methadone prescription or an alcohol detox. You might need a social worker to be thinking about people's housing or, or something to do with their children. It might be that you need to work with a housing officer to think about where they're, where they're going to live. You might need to work with a nurse to think about dressing some of the, the, the injection sites or whatever it is. So really, it's a multidisciplinary approach to be thinking mm-hmm. about. So it's a lot more than just a lot more than just that kind of one to one therapy that some people might kind of expect Absolutely. us to be doing. Absolutely. It really is. It's working in a very different way because actually, you know what? Doing one to one therapy and, and talking about how you're feeling and what's going on. It's quite an intense process. It's, it's, it's really it's not so straightforward as just coming and seeing a random person and talking about the most intimate parts of your life and it's a walk through the park this is a really powerful and intimate process which for some people and some of their experiences that they've been through is, is quite tricky so actually mm-hmm. it's not like I see a person do an assessment see them for 12 sessions and then and it's all nicely tied up and lovely actually sometimes as psychologists I have to sort of work in a a very sort of ad hoc kind of way or it might be that actually I take more of a consultation role so actually one of my biggest sort of roles in addiction is actually working with the psychiatrist or the social worker or the housing officer or the nurse really pulling those those people together to think about you know where is this person coming from how have they got Mm. to be where they are how or what are the best approaches to work with that you know if we've got somebody coming to us who's had you know really horrific levels of trauma in their history and actually you know they grew up in care or they've had multiple health service providers in their life all of whom have left them or you know left their jobs or gone away or whatever their levels of trust towards us are going to be really reduced so actually how do we work with that how do we think about that how can we encourage them to sort of engage in the treatment process with us despite these things happening so mm-hmm. sometimes it's absolutely more of a consultation role than it is a, a one-to-one sitting down talking kind of situation that we'd expect yeah sure thank you Stacey it's uh, really interesting to hear more about your experience of working in an addiction setting um, Stuart, I was wondering if you could maybe say a little bit more about what we do at Amplify Your People. Uh, I guess the best context for uh, this service is um, 
seeing people who aren't really sure why they're um, maybe upset or um, dissatisfied um, or worried, or sometimes they actually know why they they have uh, they're stressed. Sometimes mm-hmm. they think they know why they their mood is low, um, mm-hmm. but it's really good for people to talk through why that is with someone who's neutral mm-hmm. um, okay. and in confidence. And is this role that you're currently in quite similar to previous roles that you've had, or or is it quite different? Um, I think it's similar in that it's about the human condition, mm-hmm. and it's about everyone has some degree of um, struggle or challenge mm. that they need to address but I've seen people in many different settings so you know training as a forensic psychologist originally I would see people have committed crimes mm-hmm. and the staff that you know sort of manage and and care for them um, so for the, the you know the offender themselves it might be that you know I'm there to assess their risk and try to um provide them with some psychological input to reduce their risk of reoffending. Okay. Wow. So it's very different from your current context. On the surface, it's very, very different. So the client groups are very different. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, uh, in the end, it's about trying to uh, improve behaviour, mm. uh, their emotional lives, and to um, improve the lives of people around them. Um, yeah. It's similar. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stuart. Okay. Something that often comes up uh, when I have conversations with people about um, what I do is the difference between, for example, a clinical psychologist and a psychological therapist or someone who's trained um, in a certain kind of type of therapy. Lucy, I was wondering if you could say a bit more about that. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, actually. Um I think that the the fundamental difference is, well, firstly, the the training is much more broad. um, So it takes longer to become accredited and qualified as a clinical psychologist than it does usually for um, uh, to become qualified as an individual sort of modality therapist. We call it modality just means the type of therapy that somebody is sort of trained to deliver. Um, Mm -hmm. And the the advantage of that for clinical psychologists is that um, with a wider sort of skill base and principles, you can work in all of those different environments that I that I was just speaking about, um, because the knowledge maps onto those. Um, and uh, it, it also the, the training also encompasses um, a lot of um, understanding into the principles of research and ha- making sure that we understand there's a sort of scientific rigor behind what we're doing and um, that that all of the work should be what we call evidence-based. Thanks Lucy that's really helpful um, and I guess as I'm currently in training maybe it'd be helpful uh, for me to add a bit about kind of what it's like to train as a clinical psychologist um, and some of the experiences that you know myself and my colleagues have had prior to and during clinical training. Um, so before kind of doing the clinical psychology doctorate, um, people will have done an undergraduate psychology degree or a psychology conversion course, which is accredited by the British Psychological Society. Um, following that, some people, many people might go on to do a master's in, in something related to clinical psychology, um, although that's not necessary before doing the doctorate. Uh, there are some people on training who've even done a, a PhD, so research 
a PhD before the doctorate as well. Um, but as I said, that's not necessary. Um, but it is necessary to get clinical experience before doing the doctorate course. So for example, working uh, in a mental health service, maybe as an assistant psychologist or as a psychological wellbeing practitioner, um, or some people might work as, um, for example, a support worker. So lots of different roles, uh, but it's, it is necessary to get some clinical experience prior to training. And then the training itself is uh, a three-year doctorate program in the UK. Um, and there are quite a lot of different universities that do the doctorate program. Um, and during that three-year course, we do a number of different placements. So it's necessary during the three years to work across the lifespan. So to work with children, with adults, with older adults, um, and also to work with clients with kind of a range of different uh, mental health problems. And also to work across those different settings that Lucy spoke about earlier. So, for example, to get experience working in the community, uh, working in inpatient hospitals. Um, most people will get experience working in other settings, maybe in, um, for example, a prison or in a hospital or in uh, outpatient clinics. So lots of different types of settings. But typically uh, we'll do kind of um, maybe five or six different placements over the course of training or sometimes four um, depending on kind of the length of each placement but they're normally kind of six months or a year long or that's definitely the case at UCL um, and then other than the placements so we also do research so we do a thesis uh, which is why the course is a doctorate course um, so we'll have kind of days where we'll we'll collect data maybe for our thesis and write that up and um a lot of people will go on to publish that research as well. Um, and then we also have lots of teaching and training. So uh, lectures at university to kind of learn about the, the underlying evidence base and research and kind of clinical skills behind what we're practicing on placement. Um, so it's a really kind of varied course. As I said, it's three years long. So there's a lot of experience that we get over the training. And then after the three years, you kind of qualify as a doctor in clinical psychology. Um, and then you kind of go off into whatever area of clinical psychology that, that you want to work in next. Thank you, Lucy, Stacey and Stuart um, for, for joining us and for talking for, about your own experiences of working as a clinical psychologist to help us understand more about what clinical psychologists do. Um, our next podcast is going to be discussing some of the myths around therapy or the myths around what it's like to see a clinical psychologist. Uh, so please do come back and join us for that. <laughs>